Hello and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. My name is Richard Acton and my co-host... Michael Glinka, welcome. Uh, uh, we are met uh, doing biology PhDs and uh, this podcast is going to be covering a, a, a book, a uh, uh, book called Dawn, which is the first of the Xenothesis trilogy, uh, sorry, uh, Xenogenesis trilogy um, by Octavia Butler, um, also released under Lilith's Brood as a single collection. So uh, the premise is that I've read these books before, uh, but uh, Michael hasn't. So and uh, I haven't. So it's gonna be an adventure for me, where we I'm gonna read the chapter by chapter by chapter, and then uh, make out my predictions. In the meantime, we're gonna discuss the science and the literature premise and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the sort of inspiration that I was drawing from for this podcast were a couple of podcasts from, from Doof Media. Uh, we've got Worm, which covered the web serial Worm by uh, John McRae, also known as Wildbow, with Matt Freeman and Scott Daly. And then uh, uh, We Want More, uh, which covered Elias Yudkowsky's um, web serial Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which is hosted by Stephen Zuber and Brian Deacon. Um, and they both um, you know, discussed sort of those uh, um, web serials, not books uh, as such, um, uh, in this kind of format where one of them has read it before, the other one hasn't. They go through chapter by chapter, try not to, to spoil the person who's not read it, and you know, discuss, analyze, um, talk about the uh, both the literary components of it and some of the um, interesting bits of... Uh, culture or science that are covered by the book uh yeah so we thought we're gonna we want to try this ourselves and since our uh, knowledge in science biology and general uh well more or less quite good general knowledge on other fields of science uh, science medicine chemistry we thought it'd be nice mm. to apply the science in the science fiction so track yeah. how close can we get with current medicine uh -huh. and current science to what the science fiction uh, in the books mm. we've combined in the books and the, the choice of of the xenogenesis trilogy for uh, for this project was kind of uh, inspired by the fact that I, I thought the biology in this was actually really interesting i thought it was a sci-fi series that kind of did biology justice in a way that um a lot of other sci-fi kind of uh, gets physics and chemistry kind of on the nose but sometimes screws up the biology uh, but it's you know uh, sometimes i feel, feel like this the physics and chemistry like are really well sort of thought of hmm. but then biology is way beyond like the, the sort of scope of what the uh, um way to more in future more futuristic than compared to what chemistry and physics yeah, uh, describe yeah. Uh, and this there's a certain um and about biology is such a complex field that there's a kind of weird barrier to entry that is slightly mm. different from the others it's yes, harder yes. to to get um like boned up by reading the wikipedia pages um, yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, there are so many Wikipedia pages that you can dive into, and you probably won't understand any of it because of the scientific lingo and yeah, so much the necessary background knowledge you need to have. Mm. So, what we will try is to uh, explain some stuff 
and biology uh, through biology applying the biology to the science fiction but mm. we'll try to make it less scientific or be more approachable yeah yeah absolutely explain yeah. it as much as we mm. can um and if anything yeah. we'll probably we'll leave some references for people to read uh, yeah each although time. you know optional right you don't have to get oh, you don't of course we're, you can. we're not going to give you a biology go. degree you don't have to go it's, <laughs> if you're not it's just interested in listening that's perfectly fine yeah um so i was going to give a, a little background on on the author um octavia butler um because she, she's quite interesting um she's uh, an american science fiction author she was uh, born in uh, 1947 and died in 2006 at only 58 um so she was born in pasadena california um and uh, was an only child from the age of seven, born into kind of pretty modest economic circumstances, judging by her parents' professions. Her dad was a shoeshine man and her mother was a housemaid. So she was raised by her, her maternal grandmother and her mother uh, in a fairly strict Baptist environment, although she later described herself as a former Baptist, so apparently she left that. Uh, she's uh, dyslexic and very shy as a child, um, and apparently also loved uh, books on tape because she was kind of a slow reader so uh, i didn't know this about her until i did a little bit of background research so it explains a little bit more about why i like her work because i feel she's a kindred spirit um uh yeah um she was um uh at community college when the black power movement was quite big um i don't think i mentioned that she was black but she's black um uh yeah um although apparently she was a bit of a contrarian there she had some um uh, disagreements with with people. Um, yeah, well, it, I think yeah. it's um, that disagreement of people is shown through the way her the critics were describing her hmm. as very evocative and often going to uh, troubling topics such as you know um, race, sex, powers, and Absolutely, power. Yeah. So it's hmm. I think. Um, I mean, she was very popular. Her, so, yeah. Sorry. No, I was just saying that it was just it's it shows in the books that you know in her books that um, although I'm just only started reading her books, so yeah, yeah. you know more than I. But from what critics are saying, that it shows her character shows in her books. Yeah, yeah I, I, she, she comes across as a very kind of astute people watcher in her writing. Right, she's definitely observed and kind uh, of uh, understood the way people tick. Um, it's a yeah an interesting perspective but and she was she was quite popular with a sort of a feminist audience at the time um although that was kind of uh she was writing when second wave feminism was still big so there's a few topics in there eventually we'll get to them that i think her handling of them is sufficiently nuanced that the third and fourth wave feminists might be a bit less comfortable with her work, oh, okay. Okay. but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just leave that there and yeah, yeah, trust the internet. I will, to... you know, once we get to that point, we can discuss it more. In yeah, detail. yeah, we can discuss that more. But yeah, I, I'm going to mention feminism on the internet and then you know trust it to to discuss not that to in a dis- mature, not to, s- not to go bo- uh, fully, uh, you know, yeah. explode and basically. But hey, maybe it's a good way to promote uh, the <laughs> our <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Mm, yeah. That, that <laughs> right. Shall we start with the chapter? Or uh, yeah, yeah. With the book? Um, let's, let's actually dive in. So, um, so chapter one. Chapter one. Um, 
Which should I introduce it then? Start yeah, go ahead. So in this chapter, um, we meet a character of Lilith, um, a person we don't know anything about, except that she's being um, trapped somewhere, uh, kept in prison, and a series of experiments are being uh, performed on her. And we know this because each time she, des she describes them as awakenings, each time she wakes up. And we know of this because of the sp uh, scars on her body, uh, which also suggested that um, her somebody or something is performing some sort of surgery or body modification experiments on her. Hmm. Uh, but we don't know what they are. We just know uh, we're looking through her perspective um on when she awakes and how the time passes even though she's unaware of how much time has actually passed between each time she wakes up um, but she does describe her surroundings to us and we know that um she's in sort of prison cell um she's given food and water she's mm -hmm. required she's given place to sleep and wash but there's no exit uh, or no way to see outside except for if i understood correctly plastic ceiling but yet still um, she couldn't see anybody uh, around that uh, that area. And from what we see from the description, it's quite a futuristic place. So there's, as she describes, there's no source of light or ventilation um, or sound. And yet, like, the walls are described as being the source of the light and the ventilation and the sound when whenever somebody, the, her captors are speaking to her. Um, she's also given clothes and these are, I think we'll discuss them a bit later, but, mm -hmm. um, those clothes, uh, were given to her, uh, be, uh, delicate as a silk, but behave like Velcro, even though they don't have any Velcro. They, once she puts them on, they cling to her body and they close, but without any visible ways, um, indicating quite a futuristic design of, mm. um, those, uh, of the materials. Um, and so far in the chapter one, I as I believe we'll discuss two chapters uh, due to the length of, of the chapters. Yeah. Um, in the chapter one, um, she um, describes how she initially was trying to uh, strike conversation with the, her captors, but nobody ever really responded to her um, in any way. Uh, except for asking her questions. So at some point she decided to be completely rebellious against them and not respond to them or just swearing at them, basically. Which yeah, I yeah. personally, quite personally, uh, uh, respond to that. I would do that same. Yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like they kind of basically kept her in like solitary confinement for extended periods yes. and she was um, like losing her mind. Yes. So, yeah, uh, yeah. If, mm. if, you know, if you're only given questions and not any answers, I assume anybody would go rebellious, um, mm -hmm. no matter how peaceful of person you are. Yeah, I mean, this you're a position of sort of extreme powerlessness, right? You're just in a room mm. with like no visible doors. It's just, and then you could all you have is like questions from the ceiling, and they all they do is ignore you. It's like, yeah, yeah, it just feels, and also feels really yeah. claustrophobic if you think yeah. about it, because you're locked. And I mean, as the character of um bodies i don't know if i had told her name but her name was lilith the main character yeah. name lilith, lilith. Iapo. yeah and um she seemed to be fine but i can imagine a 
this being a complete hell for the claustrophobic person mm. because must be incredibly incredibly uh, scary to mm. be blocked in this uh, small confinement for unknown amount of time yeah do, do you want to talk about her her name at all? Because a couple of uh, we we drew out some stuff there. Yeah, so uh, we uh, I looked into sort of often authors try to put some meaning behind people's names. So I hmm. I, I think we both looked into her meaning of her name, yeah. and in um, for what I found was that um, Lilith the origin of the name Lilith comes hmm. from Jewish folklore. Uh, Jewish mythology and yeah. indicates the name of Adam's uh, first wife. So obviously, from mm. the Bible, many Although people the, know the the addition of the Adam's first wife bit is actually it's a later it's it's a medieval addition. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of a retcon for uh, resolving the differences between Genesis one and Genesis two, where okay. you've got the like the uh, in, in Genesis one um, Adam and and his wife are created from like the same material mm-hmm. uh, and then in, in two uh, his wife is created subsequently so there was a uh, this notion of a first wife of adam um, that later got um, the the name lilith attached to her um, in the medieval period uh, oh i see okay yeah because yeah. um, from what from what Basically, you can look in the Bible. Is basic. You can tell that when Adam was created, Eve was created from his rib, but mm. she was not counted as his sort of first wife as such, um, because they were created for each other. But then, when they were kicked out from the paradise, that's mm. when I think God created Lilith, according to yeah. what I read. Uh, and there's this well, there's this kind of popular notion of, of Lilith as um, like. Uh, uh, kind of rebellious woman or, or like mm. a more dominant woman um, and you know Adam kind of rejecting that or her um, leaving not being happy in the kind of subservient role as a uh, as a theme yes, associated yes. with that and there was something yeah. about um, being her, being really rebellious not fulfilling the wife's position mm. as such indicating the first sort of like early stages steps of showing how women should be subservient to men but according to mythology she later sort of um was described as um according she had a relationship with one of the archangels and her offspring offsprings were called mm. succubi you know ah so, yes yeah there's a whole whole mythology around sort of lilith as a, a female demon in various contexts and, it's incredible yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah. when yeah. you look into uh when <laughs> we have a early sort of rebellious woman and already told her she was sleeping creating demons out of her womb it's incredible yeah hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then um her second name iapo um which uh, apparently means many hard situations in the yoruba language from the, the, uh, the Nigeria, I think, Nigerian Benin kind of region. Um, yeah. So, so uh, I think um, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty, I think, so far what I've seen, it, it sort of explains her character in a way. Hmm. You can uh, it's it very fitting, character. right? Yeah. Um, but in the book as well, um, she was described in the, um, more about her, herself when she described that she was married, uh, mm-hmm. We know, and she had a son, um, two brothers and sister, but probably her whole family was dead. Um, so we we can, from what 
she can we can assume from work that she'll be on her own on from this point um uh, now i only just reread it but i i've i've forgotten already uh, how, do we know much about how um they died or the kind of no, circumstances i think from yeah. the first chapter they only talk about you know the whole premise is that start a war started on the on the earth and hmm. um but it doesn't really describe how yeah okay so there's this uh war and how, do we know much about that war nope I think no. it's just um, at this very moment, for at least as much as I have uh, read to mm-hmm. both chapter one and two, it doesn't really describe what happened during the war. It only described mm-hmm. that some people uh, escaped to underground, but um, that's it. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so uh, basically, we just have the the circumstances of her kind of in this weird futuristic solitary confinement cell. Um, in chapter one and kind of ruminating on the fact that most of the people that she knew are probably dead uh yeah so that's um, so it's not a it's, great start a, from her yeah although in the first chapter we also introduced to a character of a young boy um i think hmm. he was six year old boy named Sharad. oh yes um who couldn't speak her language and she couldn't speak his language um he was put in his in her cell for a certain amount of time before between her awakenings hmm. and of course as in she grew close to him because considering not being um uh able to speak to anyone except for her captors actually having physical contact with anything anyone would bring anybody close uh, to each other yeah. And um, we know initially that he was scared of her, but eventually, with time, they managed to grow closer to to each other, try to explain each other, and learn teach each other languages um, to sort of be able to communicate. Hmm. So, at that point, um, we know that there are other humans uh, yep. in the hmm. form of uh, Sharad. But then he disappears again. Yeah, so it's kind of a weird thing, right? You get some random child put in your cell with you. Not being able to talk to you. You cannot understand him or he cannot understand you. And then suddenly once you finally manage to make some contact, he disappears. He's being taken away. Taken away, yeah. And you're kind of back and forth out of this like suspended state where you're being put asleep and then woken up again and i think is there a, there's a description of her like waking up from this um suspension right where it's quite uh like um a stressful kind of experience mm. uh, yeah it's i mean to be honest um uh, from what she describes the her first awakening was uh first few awakenings were divorced because she would wake up Hmm. Um, and then find scars on her body. Hmm. And the question was, where did they come from? Um, and I can imagine that the distress... Uh, but I was thinking a bit her. more about like the, the physical aspects of it. I think that she described like a heart was beating really fast or something like that. So that, that it's not like a normal waking up from sleep. It's oh, a yes, yes. more uh, profound kind of suspension. Yeah. 
so I think um, this was this is basically the chapter one. It's a short chapter. Hmm. Um, how many words did it have? Um, according to my count, two thousand one hundred and seventy-eight. So a very short chapter, um, and we're just given background. And at the time, um, I thought we may stop at this chapter, so I made my predictions for the chapter two. Hmm. Uh, but then realized maybe it'd be better to talk about. Um, yeah, a bit more content. Content, yeah. so we've decided mm. to go on chapter two, but I think it'll be a good idea to do predictions. But um, science-wise, in the chapter, we biological-wise, we don't really, mm. we are not really interested in anything except for the futuristic sort of cell, um, yeah. which the, we already described. Although, uh, did you did you read anything to the description of the the bed as like growing out of the floor? No, actually, I I just imagined it as being a um you know an elevated sort of like uh f- you know bit of bit of floor if you know mm. what I mean and then with a sort of cover on top of it. I didn't really look into that um um that, that much. And then there was why. the the edible bowl that like disintegrated if you didn't eat it. Oh yeah, there was it. It was there. Um, yeah, it's a couple of these little like tiny little cues that kind of hint at the like otherness of the technology that's true that's mm-hmm. i i i didn't think about the the ball until you actually mentioned it yes because it was the description mm. that if she did refuse to eat it would just disintegrate itself mm. huh interesting mm. well maybe uh investigate that more at later stage or at least i mm. hope yeah, well, I, mean, I don't think I'm I'm being too like uh, spoilery here because I I mentioned to Michael before we started reading this that uh, like the biological nature of of the sort of technology that exists in this book, so he's kind of he's already aware of, of that element of things. Yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. Uh, we had a discussion, and uh, I'm sort of mm. I sort of know what it's about, more or less. Uh, of course, I don't know the details, uh, but what Richard described it to me, the books. Um, Sound really interesting, and I, and I can't wait to be honest to look into more chapters to, um, to see what the actual science, what they do know, will be there. But we'll get mm. there, hopefully. Yeah. Yes. And uh, to go back to one other thing on that point, did you read anything else into the the whole um, uh, like non Velcro Velcro clothes? So I've um. <sighs> I haven't looked into a specific materials as such, but it reminds me of sort of um, those materials uh, similar to um, um, uh, uh, graphene, hmm. um, where graphene, for example, mats were designed to put you where you can sort of put anything on, like you can glue them on this on this wall, right? Yeah, and you can put like vast amount of weights on top of them like without any sort of uh, sealant and over any form oh, yeah, basically yeah. Like the a, a monatomic sheet of graphene yes. can support the weight of a cat yeah so it's it's incredible so basically mm. you you know and even if it's it was a vertical wall um you could it's from certain angle put a a washing machine on a one meter by one meter uh, sheet of huh. graphene, okay. and basically it wouldn't fall down because of the electrostatic. This is like a kind of Van der Waals forces thing. Sort of, yes, yes. So yeah. basically, I sort of imagine it being very similar to that, where you have mm. that 
contact to contact of this this material basically causing this sort of um yeah that that was very much what it implied to me it kind of implies this like uh, ability to do almost nanoscale materials engineering because you know you can get that kind of well you've not got this issue of these like macroscopic hooks to actually physically grab onto stuff but it's you know exploiting something smaller mm. to get that effect yeah. so i'm i'm curious about what like what material it is because it sounds um sounds interesting something like mm. i'm sure will probably be will be in use in the next few decades in our world yeah uh, i expect it will be yeah um that, that kind of um material science uh, there's a lot of a lot of work in that area right trying to make materials where mm. we have like nearly um, light uh, more durable level. easier to yeah. manufacture mm. um i mean you know if you look into um nowadays shoes you know recently nike released uh new trainers that are considered almost a like a cheat um tool for athletes so oh, I, think I think there's a consideration that, yeah. to ban those shoes. I don't remember the name of mm. them. You can easily find them because there's a lot of articles yeah. about this. About, mm. But basically, they have discussion with a graph, uh, graphene sort of sheet inside of them. And it's so spongy, I would say, or like ah, springy. Okay, so that springy, basically yeah. yeah. makes the person running much... It makes it easier mm. and much um, uh, less... So it's like the, um, the whole debate over the... like. Um, elasticity of blades in in the paralympic competition right that was that whole thing with the paralympic sprinters yes like, were yes, they effectively like that. doping with it yeah so okay, it's sort cool. of not biological doping but sort of a mechanical doping, mechanical doping. yeah hmm. um so this is something hmm. probably which will uh experience more in the future such a such thing as mechanical doping hmm. you know um as yeah. you know the how do you call it the speedo um swimming gear used for by swimmers olympic swimmers oh yeah uh, the shark sort of skin type of uh, swimming you know also, also hmm. i think considered um banned or is it banned maybe i would have to check i don't that. know about that one but... um but basically yeah. because it allowed a smoother water hmm. um flow um, yeah, all these kind of little cool material science tricks that exploit kind of nanoscale features of the material. But many that, of um, them are based on uh, nature. I mean, if you yeah, look at Yeah, a lot of biomimetics. Um, and nature, you can find materials like the shark skin that hmm. you know, once way if you cross your hand, it's super smooth. But if you go against or the, against it, it's very rough. and Like sandpaper. Um, so... All of these sort of uh, nowadays medicine, synthetic medicine, and a lot of um, uh, materials and um, structural design is also for um, coping nature. Honeycomb design mm. was considered mm. one of the strongest uh, designs, light and strong. Um, we can reduce the amount of material used while maintaining the strength of it. So yeah, absolutely, it's it's. I think, but uh, back to the being the uh, back to the book. I think hmm. clothes like that will be designed quite. I I think we have next ten twenty years that we will see. The... Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, uh, the the main barrier to kind of that um, sort of material, I think, is the manufacturing difficulty mm. of of getting something that is where you have that degree of control over the the sort of nanoscale structure of the material. Um, 
in, in something as large as a you know an actual garment um that's where the the tricky bit comes in like having uh macroscopic objects with nanoscale features yeah, yeah. so but i think eventually we'll probably get to the point where due to possibly resource a limit we'll have to mm. the amount of material provided will be so limited to it that will be like you know it's will be calculated in nanograms of material use for uh, whatever trousers shirts uh, <laughs> the person can wear uh, well yeah i suppose it'll very much depend on the economics of the situation yeah of course, no. of course. now but we're getting feel, too far afield. i feel even then even then the companies will be like oh actually mm. we can use less material for and make more of it good uh um good good solution for them um so shall we should we uh, circle back to your your predictions Diction, yes, for chapter yes. 1 so yeah. for my prediction um this is what i wrote down for myself so this was chapter mm-hmm. 1 we just discussed and i assumed at that point that the next thing that will happen to her is a further development in the experiments performed on her mm-hmm. and i thought maybe that either a new character will be introduced that would potentially know some information how to get uh, out of the situation she is currently, or mm-hmm. she finds herself uh, awake. She finds herself awake during one of the uh, experiments and um, potentially run away from the um, the her confinement of or her captors. Because mm-hmm. as often you know in books or movies, you see somebody during, suddenly waking up during the surgery and you know or whatever experiments happening on them, and they, they run away from the um, from their captors. Mm. And I also thought that maybe her captors' identity will be exposed. So that was okay. my prediction mm. um, in from chapter one to the next chapter. And what do you think, okay, Richard? Then. I think I was pretty just two predictions out of those three predictions two of them were pretty close uh yeah I mean, fairly close um and we we didn't see her wake up during any of the experiments no but, that's, uh, that, didn't, that, happen. Yeah, that yeah. didn't happen but yes, we, we do, do find a bit out about her captor's identity yes um, and, and uh, she does meet yeah. a new character so hmm. it seems to be sort of a bit more uh, a bit spot on i don't want to uh, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. on myself on the back too much mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, I call that 2 out of 3 yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so should we, we should move on to the points how many times I was mm-hmm. correct or not and then at the end oh yeah, yeah. Well, we should make a spreadsheet keep track of that <laughs> um. <laughs> predictions correct, incorrect and then at the end see how, how good I was get, I, or how yeah. good or how bad I was getting with it as time was passing will <laughs> yeah. make me see how much you should have been betting that. so you know you yeah. guys get, brace yourself <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so should I introduce okay. the chapter two then? Yeah, let's let's do chapter two. Uh, so in chapter two, we find Liv uh, waking up herself, uh, waking up again, and finding herself mm-hmm. with uh, the physical presence of one of the voices that she used to walk, talk to, one of her captors. Mm-hmm. And we find that the, her captor uh, um, came out uh, to speak to her. Um, to sort of introduce, well, to introduce her to what her situation really is. And as she sort of started it to converse with the, her captor, she, um, her, the, the character, uh, the other character, um, mm-hmm. tried to uh, basically said to her, 
that he wants her to see who he truly is and uh, when she's ready and once after a bit of a brief period of time she finally i don't know brings up the courage or finally calms herself down enough to approach the alien uh, the alien which in fact was an alien and finds mm -hmm. herself in the presence of a humanoid like uh, being um the, the name of Dahia, I would say. That's the um, I think so. I have I've listened to the audiobook versions of this, so I have the pronunciations from from that in my head. And in this, it's kind of a um, uh, it's uh, Shtaya. Shtaya. Okay. Shtaya is it's, the the way that it's, the narrator pronounces it. Okay, so uh, it's spelled J D A H Y A, but Shtaya. Yeah. Okay. We'll say... It's kind of a soft J. Okay. Yeah. So Shtaya is yeah. a male alien and i'm saying male with inverted commas because it's sort of how the way he says to her um he says that it's their sex sort of differences are not as similar like are different to what humans are but for her on understanding mm. he's a male yeah and yeah. he was described as a slender man with no nose no nostrils just flat gray skin on his face and dark gray hair covering the whole head and face neck and possibly the rest of his body. Um, and we find that actually after a bit of a shock, we find that uh, the way he describes his hair is actually not the hair. When he asks her to come closer and realize that what he's, what she sees is actually not hair, but sensory organs. Hmm. Um, and we find out more about uh, Lilith's stay in the imprisonment. We were told that she was on the ship because um, in fact she was captured on an alien ship for 250 human years yeah that's a bit of a reveal yeah, yeah. and it's pretty crazy because when you think about 250 mm. years for a human a human body deteriorates to incredible speed um, from starting from age around 25 onwards and mm. um, by age of 80, 90 our bodies lack the possibility to sort of maintain the youthfulness you know our cells basically the process in our cells slow down there's a lot of errors being produced in dna we'll get to that mm. in the, sorry in science later yeah. on but basically our bodies are not capable of standing such a long period so this is first sort of i think big sort of uh reveal of the capabilities those aliens have and yeah. so whatever that uh, whatever that stasis tech they used to put her to sleep is is uh, pretty effective yes and in fact possibly yeah. the awakenings i would say may possibly also the surgeries performed on her potentially had some impact on that but hmm. i don't know yet we, we'll have to do we, get a, do we get a little bit more about the the surgery quote unquote that goes on I in don't, this section i don't think so okay i don't think so For, uh, yeah. i might have uh, i don't missed it but i don't think they go into that um hmm. i only, uh, only, uh, uh, again, uh, what was his name? Uh, oh, um, uh, Chitaya. Chitaya. Um, Chitaya mm. told her only about how long she's staying, and she he explained the situation of what's happening on Earth, um, mm. which basically he said that during the war, uh, people were starting killing each other, obviously, and aliens were yep. observing this, and in fact, they didn't know what actually, um, uh, what it meant it was novel to them and for a beings a bit more advanced than us it 
such a behavior was a bit less understandable. Mm. And they thought that we are basically undergoing a mass suicide um, event. Yeah, uh, I thought it was is, an interesting, which is uh, interesting thing aspect. for them to conclude, right? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way because in a way, normal beings, other beings, right, um, don't behave in a way like us. But then hmm. we do, well, I say that we do have ant colonies that basically in America, South America and Australia that basically travel around and wipe each other up if the if they can. But you know, it's mm. that's but it's interesting conclusion that um it was more as mass yeah. suicides behavior. And I think that also caused the problem before the aliens when they co- uh, they sort of rescued the rest of the humans, the remaining humans who were hiding against from the war, uh, from the war. Yeah, I think they they had like a debate of whether or not they should just rescue the humans because yes, they thought that yes. we were trying to kill ourselves. And I think it was also emphasized by by the fact that people who were captured by them eventually some uh, some of them committed suicide in their imprim- imprisonment hmm. cells. Um, um, but that also yeah, came pr- out from the fact because, because of because of the, the solitary. Yes, because of yeah. the solitary. <laughs> it's there being this complete solitude yeah. again from anyone was hmm. a big factor and it took them a while to understand this uh, this concept but yeah it's clear, clear they uh they um kind of took a while to figure out how to keep like captive humans and not have them go crazy and kill one another yeah or I themselves think it's, yeah. well i can imagine being like having a new pet you never had before and basically the pet just going crazy i i think hmm. it was more like that for like that for them um but what we are told about Shdaia is that um, the reason why they captured them was to help the Earth to recover, post-war, and then mm. help them recover, heal them, and then send them back to Earth. But um, we know that you know it's it's a difficult process for to to mm. recover, especially if you, if you know for people injured and everything. So and. Uh, sleeping or they were uh, sleeping for people to preserve their lives to understand them took them 250 years yeah so it's quite uh, a i think a long period the state of, of the... time to, to 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 you know to study uh, psychological behavior of the species mm. um and i suppose what's what's the state of the ecosystem down on earth as well right that's has, a, that's a good question that's a good question because yeah. if mm. Um, I mean, the book was written in 1986, so we assume obviously that the author obviously was aware of nuclear bombs and because she was born after the Second World War and she heard about yeah. it. And of course, the Cold War and then the old uh, 1950s, 60s Americas, you no know, high bombs and missile atomic, crisis. Yeah, all of that. So yeah. she must have been aware. And I assume that what this is what she was sort of referencing to that potentially oh, yeah. humans yeah. were using weapons of mass destruction such as nuclear yeah. weapons that basically caused havoc on earth and that's why it yeah. potentially was also the reason why they were kept in uh, captivity for such a long period and to help the earth to recover mm-hmm. i mean it's a, a plausible alternate timeline right and you know, if uh stanislav petrov had, had a cold oh, yes. on like what was it like the i forgot the date like 26th of september 80 Three? Oh man, I can't remember. You're asking but... somebody who doesn't remember his birthday. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible at it as well. But yeah, uh, but yeah, like, it, 
that was a the Soviet missile commander who um like decided not to report what was thought to be a missile launch from the US or the ah, Soviet yes, Union it was the but error. was a yes you're talking about the it was error. an error yes 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 yeah. and it was actually an error of a um uh of of the computers of that time that they thought that was uh and I think it was a is like a in that particular case I can't remember exactly but I think it was a radar bug basically it like miscategorized something as a as a missile launch man can you imagine um, being this close like literally yep a decision of There's one so many... man to basically yeah. annihilate the whole earth but there are so many stories like that, right? There are several instances where we very nearly went full-on thermonuclear war, oh, yes. but like avoided it by a, you know, whisker. Uh, there was um, like uh, NORAD did the whole war games thing where they accidentally had a simulation running they thought was real, <laughs> um, and then there was um, they had a similar thing with radar. They had like a flock of birds they thought was a load of missiles. Man, um, I, I I just it it's, was... think about it. and to be honest, there is a book a friend of our, of mine from um, uh, talked about the, all the mistakes and close hmm. calls with atomic weapons and just atomic energy. Oh yeah, yeah. There was some um, com- command and control was one of them, but there's a more recent actually just I think like might have been earlier this year, late last year. There was a republication of one that revisited the whole like nuclear command and control problems um, with an updated version. But um, to be honest, at this very point, a lot yeah. of the nuclear we- uh, weapons that are being kept by Russia and America are probably non-functional, being kept underground oh. for so long. I feel like... Some of them. Some of them, but, definitely. I mean, I'm sure there's enough to wipe everybody anyway from yeah, the face of I mean, the planet, but still. We're still alarmingly close to that situation, yeah. right? You know, If um, the, the current president of the United States has a bad day, then um, there's not really any checks. Yeah, and I feel like the same with the president of Russia. It's just both of them are just... But anyway, let's leave the politics out of this and yeah. just move on maybe to uh, um, the, yeah. the storyline. So plausible alternate history yes. where something went less well yes. on the whole nuclear situation. We were, let's say it was less lucky Earth version. Yeah, yeah, marginally less lucky. And so in the storyline, we find that ah, um, uh, oh, I forgot his name again. My goodness. Oh, um, Shtaya. Shtaya. I need to yeah. write it down the, somewhere. The, the full name is uh, he gives a long one, doesn't he? It's like Kalted Indajaya Lel Kaguyat Ajdinso. The meaning of which uh, we may get a bit more detail yeah he just later. tries it like yeah. it's being a um a full his full name is actually a combination of his i think parents and then some other things so yeah there's like a set of rules that determine what the full name is like, you know, patronymics in russian that kind of thing okay it's so we'll system probably we'll look into that we'll get to know about this more later on and Shdaya tells about that in her first awakening awakening this first awakening something went hmm. wrong and she needed to be put asleep again. I think that describes in the big scar she found on her abdomen, if I remember the abdomen. Um, And as the conversation occurred, um, she asked about Sharad, obviously, because, you know, Hmm. and we find that another voice from uh, outside tells her that he's asleep with his family. And uh, when she asked to see him, um, he's fine. She was told that she will be able to see him, but only once she's able to, ac- she accustoms herself to Chitaya 
and hmm. to the fact that there are more aliens like him outside and she'll be able to walk peacefully without prejudice uh, around them and that, yeah, that she, point is she the finds herself chapter. so sorry what was that and at the end that's the uh, that sort of ended up the chapter that's and, uh, that, yeah. that sort of information hmm. that once she's ready then she'll be let out hmm. yeah because she, she finds herself kind of like viscerally terrified by just the physicality of this alien being's presence right she's oh very, yes i mean you know it's yeah. imagine seeing a human being thinking it's a human being and then when you get mm. close and as this is like what daya actually said to um to her mm. when other humans came uh to meet him or all his co-aliens um, yeah. They got really upset when they realized the hair is not actually hair, but more like Medusa, as she describes it, a, a living yeah, these, sort uh... of organism. And in fact, hmm. the book describes when he actually came close to sit down sort of beside her, the hair was sort of, he said that it can move to his own will and also his emotions and the environment. So... Mm. I can sort it of has imagine like it's... sensory component to it as well. Yeah, so That's I can a... sort of imagine yeah. it being quite um, unsettling if you sat down with someone and suddenly their hair was just sort of pointing at you. It's just yeah, it's like being stuck in a room with like a kind of human-sized octopus type thing. Yeah, sort of like <laughs> a real life, a real life, a human li uh, like Cthulhu. Uh, yeah, you know, staring. <laughs> so I can imagine the distress of, uh, of people. It's pretty disconcerting. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so if you've ever been in a room with, like, uh, I mean, I've not ever been in a room with an animal that was like really imposing because you know that would be a bad idea. But like, if you get the analogy when you go to the zoo and you stand like close to a tiger or something, right? It's kind of a large, bit bigger than human-sized animal oh, yeah. that's still very like. Yeah, you get that visceral sense of this is an intimidating physical entity, right? Yeah, I which I think in Bristol, right, uh, mm -hmm. in the zoo in Bristol, um, the sort of um, animal cages for lions, particularly you mentioned lions, are open cages. Mm -hmm. They're not sort of you don't look them. They're literally just a single mesh sort of separating you again from those animals and there's yeah. a great sign also saying that uh, uh, lions can pee like two meters or something to when they march <laughs> so you have to be careful if they turn around so that's also uh, yeah. there but actually it may you can feel that you get close mm. and suddenly a lioness appears out of nowhere just jumps near you and you're like Oh my god! So it, this sort of presence, yeah. like I can—it's really of, visceral. Yes, you can feel it. Yeah. So I can mm. imagine, like, in being in the presence of an alien or being completely you no. Know, even though with games or movies or books or whatever, you used mm. to be introduced to many sort of imaginations of aliens. Still, they're on the screen. It's very hard. Yeah, it's hard to emulate the. The, the kind of all the little subtle cues that constitute actually physically being there yes um it, and it's... give you that impression that's kind of you know the, the skin standing up on your uh, extremities it's getting sensation basically thinking yeah. because you feel like you know it's it's as she was describing it like you can feel him looking at you but without eyes and you know hmm. for human 
eyes, nose, mouth are like the more you know. You can miss you can miss an ear or something, but it's still hmm. oh you you can miss anything on your face, and that will really make people stare at you. And it's not because they think you're weird. It's because yeah. instinctively in our minds something is yeah. wrong, and that like facial recognition or seeing the pattern of a face is like really deeply in our kind of visual yes, programming yes. And, of right? course, and we see faces everywhere yes exactly you know seeing yeah. faces and piece of toast or whatever it's just like hmm. it's 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 so ingrained in us because it's important for our self-preservation and protection and yeah. it's just incredible like you know how you know and people stare at people missing some features because it's just hmm. unsettling it's not that they oh, yeah, um, yeah. want to, or it's not that they're being rude. Mm. Like rude, obviously, staring is rude. Because yeah, right? but you know that that like subconscious heuristic bit of your brain that does the facial recognition just has a like oh, what uh, is there any it, danger? It gets, trip, it gets tripped up. Like, is on there any the, danger around you? The, what yeah. caused it? What could be the cause? How can I sort of um, like, bypass? How can I know what was the danger to mm. bypass it? Also, never be uh, never yeah. encounter this myself. So, in, instead of you know doing the normal automatic thing of categorizing stuff is in a background kind of stuff it, it it you know throws a this is a weird thing i can't categorize this so it gets promoted to the level of conscious attention you get like a, oh this is something i should notice yes um, yes exactly yeah. it's, it's yeah. sort of like gives you the oh the shock you, you stand you know hmm. it's like the uh, fight or flight you no know, um the adrenaline starts to build up in your body you're like oh okay this is this is not what it should be and I wanted mm. to talk about a bit of the sensory organs present on Jedaya because I thought yeah. we could sort of reference it to um, sort of the science or the nature we observe in our world. And okay. I think, although difficult to sort of characterize something like that, mm. um, I think there are some sort of animals, uh, examples uh, of such sort of sensory organs in, um, in our world. Uh, most yeah. probably famous examples would be gastropods, snails, and slugs. Mm. Like you, oh, yeah. you have their eyes are sort of um, those, those tentacles. They come out from the top of their head. Yeah, the stalks. Um, the stalks are more. They are, there's a very similar to that They're, because the act varies. Uh, you know, because what Daya says is basically he can see, he can sense mm. everything through it. You know, smell. Sort of, uh, I don't know about taste. It didn't say, but he can. It reacts to his emotions. So yep. there is definitely a nervous system associated with that. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, smell and taste are you know very related. Yes, right? exactly. So, so potentially it would be similar. also related, mm. though the um, digestive system can be separate. It, it has mm. it, it hasn't described it yet, but I, I have some theories about that. Um, mm -hmm. But basically, the gastropod. Sensory organs can act as olfactory, so smell, and then mm -hmm. visual, balance, and mechanoreceptors, so they can feel the touch mm -hmm. or whatever it changes in environment, movement of environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But they don't course, have a no, sense of hearing. Yeah. And we know that yeah. he can hear her, even though he doesn't have ears. So those organs mm -hmm. that on his um, body can act of all of those. So yeah. it's. Yeah. I think it's very interesting, a very advanced sort of organ that he can control mm. and also that also reacts to the environment. And mm. um, it makes you think that it's like as if, you know, we had an eyes 
because it was described as in a whole body, so he can sense the environment in mm. his whole body, meaning that it might be also quite sensitive to changes in the environment. And mm-hmm. um, there's a this could be also related to things like um, um, there's the other examples of uh, organs like this, such as um, tentacle-like sensor organs in star. Uh, What's the name? Star no smalls. Star no smalls. Yeah. yeah. So these are mm. just mechanoreceptors, um, mm-hmm. but they are very, very sensitive. It's probably the most sensitive mechanoreceptors you can find in whole, in any mammal. Hmm. And isn't um, isn't the star no small or a relative of it where they they hold like a bubble of air in that? Yes, um, yes, yes. Because they actually and they go um, diving. They actually um, are a bit more of. Uh, water-based animals as well. They like a wet mm. environment where can, they can find food. But because they are so sensitive um, to um, to so sensitive to the environment, um, mm. it's it's incredible. So how, you know, it's that they can detect a minuscule movement of a earthworm. Mm. I think we're talking about, I don't want to lie. I know this may be mm. correct, but I think mm. from what I remember, it was several hundred meters probably overstatement but uh, i'm sure it's that seems like a long way but i th- but uh, i think it's quite a substantial distance hmm. is that it's purely a mechanical I th- thing I, from what i or does it have some kind of electro perception um yeah. i think it's fully it's only mechanoreceptor although it has a um a uh, organ called imus uh, organ and that but i it, it, i'm not entirely certain if it's elec- also re- detects electromagnetic changes uh, okay yeah because uh, i know things like um the duckbill platypus and hammerhead sharks and a few oh, other yes, things yes of course have they, very they can detect refined changes uh electromagnetic yeah, field changes electrical senses um mm-hmm. but this i don't know it, I would have to look into it more. Uh, I'll find some yeah, references yeah, yeah. on Iron but I, I, I suppose um, starfish might be another um, creature that has sort of tentacle-like structures with multi-sensory functions. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. Although they're kind of a bit more in the olfactory, chemosensory kind of uh, space. Yeah, um, I mean, we have a lot of the cephalopods as well. Oh, yeah, of course. By mm. All of this. Mm. Um, there are a lot of examples. Um, mm. A lot of them have different functions. I'm curious mm. how later um, they will explain this sort of uh, how they portray because we know there are some animals like the um, prawn, if I remember, that can see ultraviolet light. That has like the best developed mm. eyes. It's the one I don't know. I probably oh, yes, know the, the name um, of it, but uh, it's the one that shoots yeah, the bubble yeah. so quick it kills them. Um, mm. fish fry. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about, and it, um, I've forgotten the name of the thing. Um, I don't remember. But it's but this is this. It can also see polarized light. Yes, yes. It can tell the difference between uh, and even differences between like circularly and linearly polarized light. It's, um, it's mantis shrimp. Yes, mantis shrimp. Yes, that's, that's the one. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's eyesight. It's mm. so. It's probably the most developed eyesight that you, you can find in nature, and it's incredible. Mm. And I would like to hear more about those sensory organs. What exactly do they do? You know, later on. Mm. Maybe somebody, maybe they yeah, will so describe it. But they seem like they have uh, a very, you know, a very highly capable sensory uh, organ system. 
um, but the precise parameters of that are yet to be uh, examined. Yeah, so yeah. I hope hope next future chapters they will talk about it because I'm really curious. And you know, mm. having that many sensory organs, I had this thought which I wrote down here for myself in notes mm-hmm. that I was just wondering if their nervous system is centralized. Because you know, the yeah. development of a brain in the, in Earth mm. evolution was important because it um, allowed for development of identity and mm. for a f- better processing of uh, information, and memory, and stuff like that, character, speech, you know. And you can tell that you know with the difference between our humans and then our ancestors and you know uh, more, uh, chimpanzees and all those prima- primates and all other other animals that have centralized uh, are you could say superior in the um uh i suppose the information aggregation yes, yes, right yes. their kind of ability to act as a yes and process a, the information a, an, an agent in the environment that centralized information yes and uh, in different animals of course yeah. that's brains is the brains are developed less or more depending on you know at the mm. stage of their evolution yeah. but i was just wondering yeah. like the amount of sensory information provided by um uh you know all those tentacles if all of those tentacles on his body provide the same sort of information or whether he has areas that you know mm. have different specialization. specialization certain you know that be it still is not described whether those sort of um amount of sensory information you are given like does it need maybe more sort of like brains in him like some sort of like mm. no because our brain is ba- de- uh, built of two sort of parts the the old brain the cerebellum which is responsible for the basic functions that are not consciously co- controlled like heartbeat mm-hmm. breathing you know all of that whereas the c- cerebrum is where everything else is happening the the sort of um, memory, you know, processing of your high, level, high functions. level functions, basically. Yeah. So yeah. I can imagine it being having maybe one brain, like the big, uh, you know, main high function brain, but then smaller sort of nodes controlling the rest of the sort mm. of reactions. And the the there is like um you know a body size to brain size relationship, right? So you know the blue whale has a much bigger brain than us, but it's not necessarily a lot smarter than us because it's got a lot of it's a lot more, you know, stuff to supervise, right? Yes, There's the rest yes. of the whale that needs some attention um, from the brain. Uh, yeah. So that's. But is uh, the? I mean, is the whale's um, brain? Um, with what is it then related? to? Because you know, is it the amount of the concentration on the neuron cells per volume, or is it because, uh, or is it? Um, down to the I'm not sure um because i mean no, the, we know that brain how many times you you know the brain folded is uh, the way it's folded is for the reason um ah, yes. it's mm, yeah. it's developed mm. this way to increase the volume them you know its volume surface area to surface mm. area and you know having more mm. brain cells to to for you know for processing for function um, but that's why when you look in some brains that are very sort of smooth and there's there are some cases yeah, of a, a um, brain um, uh, disabilities that uh, humans are born due to certain mutations that brains is very smooth the concentration yeah, of manifest concentration of neuron cells is much lower compared to what a standard normal human being would be born with without any disabilities so 
It's it's interesting. I wonder they yeah, are described. Chitaya was described as a big, taller humanoid that compared to Lilith. Um, but mm. yeah, they're quite physically big. But let's mm. see. I, I'm curious on the intrinsic, uh, interesting sort of further knowledge on the author sort of provides for us to understand yeah. better. Yeah. Learning a bit more about their uh, capabilities, their biological capabilities. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Mm. I'm really excited to be honest. It's really exciting. I, 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 to ever to all the listeners, I, I, you can probably tell, but I am really mm. excited about this. I, I generally, when first Richard introduced this book to me, I was wow, this is really something interesting because we can talk about this for a long time, and you know we do possess enough knowledge to understand certain aspects, and of course we look into more sort of preparation. But like, it's, it's an interesting topic, and it drives me really uh, sort of not insane, but like I wish that sort of we were able to understand more of be able to meet other sort of aliens like that in future. Like mm. maybe uh, depend on like whether, the you know, if we're not alone on this world or maybe with the distances are so, f- you know, they were so spread that we maybe never meet. But yeah, and of course, like one of the big, questions with respect to the origin of life and, and and biology and you know aliens and so on it's like to what degree if aliens exist will they be biologically different to oh, us yeah. like how much of the kind of abiogenic process by which you know chemicals gave rose to life processes is is deterministic and how much of it is probabilistic it's, it's, you know chance this is the good question because no. there was an experiment mm. performed on um providing like recreating the environment of what the you know primal soup uh when uh, yuri miller again the yuri miller experiment uh, i don't remember his name to all listeners yeah i think i am it's awful, a hyphenated uh comes names and dates so probably richard will remember everything because he has a mind on eh. computer but <laughs> mm. but i remember general just terrible memory for so dates just bear in mind mm. with me um, so there was an experiment performed where they pro- reproduced the sort of environment, the co- concentrations of sort of the uh, ammonia, carbon dioxide, and the electricity going yeah. through there, and then basically left the chemical, like the, the reagents of those chemicals to their own sort of, let's say, life, like just for them yeah, to yeah. react they, they... spontaneously. and Put them in the reaction vessel with some atmosphere and some electrical um, stimulation to simulate you know, lightning, uh, and, lightning and other electrostatics in the uh, behavior yeah. and then basically just mm. left them for a period of time and then they came back to them yep. after a certain period of time I remember that I watched the documentary and they looked into I think some tubes that like 10 years later and they found yeah, yeah. actually the first amino acids um, yep uh, and I think some might be some nucleotides in there as yes, well yes 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 in triggers. fact yes but, and it, it yeah. showed that potentially if the uh, if the life um develops on other planets hmm. it may not be the way you know look the same as we do because we you know the way we hmm. evolved but if you look around the world like i mean we have there's so many different species in different way the way they will look you know there's an hmm. infinite uh, possibility to for them to develop but potentially the chemistry the biochemistry hmm. will be very similar uh, so there's a like the, we have a kind of fundamental overlap with all the rest of the oh yes you know, the tree of life yes. on earth right because there's 
you know, going back to to Luca, Lost Universal, Common Ancestor, like we we have the same um, genetic code. So like the mapping between the sequence of bases and the sequence of proteins is the same, but that could be arbitrary, right? So the the which bases are in our DNA might be different, and then what those encode in terms of the proteins they produce could be Type different, proteins, and whatever, which yes. amino acids include could exactly. be different, and also handedness, right? The chirality could be different, right? So everything is is um, ah yes, because the yes, absolutely, because we have L sort of the left. We're all L, the, right? The yeah. left sort of pro- um, uh, I'm proteins, but where it could be completely reversed. It's interesting, yeah. but mm-hmm. then there are some limitations to that as well. Please remember that. Some of the protein behavior, the chirality, which will probably have to explain in more details. Um, uh, Basically, it's just handedness. Yeah, right? so, you know, imagine you've, you've, your hands, uh, you have left and right hands. Yeah. Sort of, you can imagine mm. the protein being the same, basically, that it can it's be... A, you know, the amino acid, the analogous concept, right? The, the, the individual units that are strung together to make up proteins are structured in such a fashion that they can, um, like, then you can't um, rotate them such that they will be the same, right? They're, yes, they're reflected yes. in a you mirror, cannot, effectively. Yeah, if right? you rotate it, you cannot impose it on the on the other protein. So, yeah, it's yeah. And everything in life is is L-handed or or labor rotatory. Um, uh, and but it could be D, mm-hmm. right? If everything yes, was dextro rotatory, then it would be the you know everything would be a mirror image. Um, or like, well, there's a couple of exceptions in like bacterial cell walls where where D is used, but um, yeah. But I think also so that's there's a seemingly arbitrary choice. I think if I remember correctly, back to my undergrad chemistry, is that some of the chemistry mm. behind L and D is actually some things can only happen on the L proteins. I but I think it's down to the enzymes and also the vamps. But anyway, mm. yeah. so I like the folding would be all screwed up if you mixed in the different. Oh yes, um, yes, yes. yes. Uh, so yeah. this this is what we sort of um, imagine that this it may be very similar in a similar sort of idea, you know, a four base mm. or maybe six base or whatever yeah. um, DNA. The individual chemical constituents might be the same, but the way in which they're organized could be very different. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. um, it's something that we have to um, bear in mind that in with, if we meet any sort of if we ever meet in next century or millennium uh or hmm. beings from other worlds potentially will uh, if we even find any sort of bacteria like organisms um it might be the case that their genomic uh composition is completely is very similar but completely not the way our uh, life has evolved yeah yeah um and it, it's one of the interesting ones in what if we ever find uh, like fossil bacteria life on Mars, right? If it's a different um, fundamental uh, chemistry, or you know has a different genetic code or something, then that would be you know that would say you know we've got two independent origins of life effectively, yes. um, but with still very similar chemical compositions, just different like um, uh, choices for the. Um, the specific implementation of, of genetic information. It's I yeah. think it's a very in- incredible and interesting topic to talk uh, to think about because it's hmm. if we considered that we that the uh, let's say the life on other planets or well, let's say hmm. is 
using the same building blocks again. Yeah. But there are some changes associated to how many, for example, bases uh, in DNA or RNA mm. or um, DNA is in deoxyribonucleic acid, which is the basis in our cells that how we look and how we who we are is the basic, you know, the basics block, basic blocks. And RNA is the sort of equi- equi- no, equivalent of it, but used to create proteins. Um, the DNA and RNA could be made of more than four bases. Uh, it could be... Yeah, which would kind of rule out cross-compatibility with our yes, systems exactly. to I mean, a significant it's, degree. It's, yep. it's, I think if it's to be dissimilar or if this, it's the same sort of building blocks, I still think it would be so different that hmm. um, yeah. we wouldn't be able to, re- to relate it in any way. Yeah, so you often get that like you know alien virus scenario in sci-fi, oh, yes, yes. right? Where are like, mm, nah, like viruses are incredibly highly specialized to exploit like the Existing, very specific yes, systems that yes, exist yes. in the cells of the host organism, right? If they get if they're going to be off at a fundamental level, like with, with base pairs or whatever, that's really not going to be that's not going to work, right? Uh, so I, the, the possibility of cross-compatible pathogens strikes me as like mm, unless we're really similar that's not going to be a thing but there there are for example organisms that um we find and recently you know originally if our our lovely listeners when if you if you remember your classes from primary school and biology about the kingdoms you know kingdom plant kingdom animal Mm -hmm. you know Nowadays, actually, those kingdoms are actually spreading more and more. We find more examples of beings or organisms, usually microscopic. They're not, uh, I'm not talking about actually big, I'm talking about microscopic bacteria-like organisms that Mm. have completely um, different um, genes or genomic sequence uh, compared to any other Although we did have that kind of high-level consolidation into the three domains, right? So we had the five kingdoms, but then we, get, you know, there's the bacteria, the archaea, and then the eukaryotes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and then we've got more kingdoms beneath that level where um, we have a better picture of kind of the, the topology of absolutely, the, the tree. Absolutely, but it's like now. a tree. But, it keeps yeah. spreading, and mm. we still find mm. new branches that basically don't match what we have so far. And it's yeah. pretty... And I, I feel like it's gonna be like that. That 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 tree, I would say the the Yggdrasil of the Norse mythology of 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 you know of kingdoms is gonna be spreading mm. more and more. And if we find something that it doesn't match, and you know, completely yeah. any of those three kingdoms, well, that's gonna probably revolutionize everything. Our knowledge and, and yeah totally different um you know a totally different tree right a totally different root because you know everything in on earth has that common history yes. whereas you know something else would be you know totally different and lack the cross compatibility although i say to, i make a point about pathogens but allergens and toxins definitely a thing mm. right we could definitely see that being a, an issue although it, it's a kind of interesting case with the whole allergens thing you probably have like an an uncanny valley type problem where stuff would be sufficiently alien that it won't be reacted to 
sometimes. Well, it depends. Or there might be stuff that's just similar enough. If you think about like ions and everything, you know, it's all those things. There might be common things that basically maybe, well, if like an alien bacteria invaded your body and it Mm. would potentially use some of the basic components uh, present in your body to, yeah. to sort of... I suppose it's a question of like whether or not the enzymes that are evolved to break down the kind of stuff that you find in life on this planet would be sufficiently chemically compatible with whatever the other, you know, the whole like, you know, L and D amino acid yes, thing, right? Yes. Is, is, is one of these proteases going to be compatible with a you know, totally different... <laughs> set of amino acids or a totally different chirality of those amino acids it might not be able to but then break i'm talking down about and simple, feed on our stuff simple, like elements I'm talking about elements yeah. simplest compounds you know like when you get right down to the the stuff that's already kind of the the monomers yes, that make exactly. up the various so biological polymers that might be then it could be that might be yeah. similar or it might be in a way utilizable uh yeah i i suspect like my sort of personal guess right now it's not really informed by the science is that the a lot of the fundamental monomers will be the same yeah like like, even potentially like the the choice of amino acids and the choice of nuclear bases might well be determined by chemical factors but the um the organizational stuff is a bit more contingent yeah i think you know if we Considering, although I remember, um, I don't know if it was a doctor who or something talking about silicon-based life. You know, we have, we're talking about carbon-based life, mm. right? But I think it was Doctor Who was talking yeah. about silicon, silicon-based yeah, life, yeah. was it? It's a possibility. Yes. Um, but basically, I'm you know, maybe, maybe some uh, elements um, from this, you know, from the same column of the of on the periodic table under carbon. Could be utilized for, um, or maybe other elements might be building basically. It's it's a topic that we could talk about hours and hours on it, and we probably never came to a conclusion because, unfortunately, we probably never meet such a being in our lifetimes. Yeah, probabilistically, it's not all that likely that we're going to overlap, at least with the current numbers on the Drake equation. I think it makes me a bit sad, it's, but at the same time, yeah. it's a bit horrifying. There's too, I've watched too many aliens movies to uh, to 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 look forward <laughs> to them as well. I mean, unless there's a full yeah. confinement, and then we can talk. But mm. no, I'm gonna commit the fallacy of generalizing from fiction. Yeah, right? yeah. And they they might yeah, be nice. Maybe nice. Oh, they you know maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, you know, if a higher being, hmm. I mean, let's be honest. We humans are usually nice to each other. There are some human beings that are not. Some other human, some yeah. human beings like yeah. to use other human beings or other beings. Hmm. So I think it'll be the same I mean, with the, aliens. Like to be fair, I mean the, the evidence from like colonialism, oh, yeah. right? When a massive asymmetry in technological capability exists, and the high tech people show up at the lower tech people, it ends poorly okay. for the low tech people. Yes. Um, yeah, so that that could go badly if. <laughs> You know, so t- more sophisticated see. aliens let's show up. Let's hope that our alien <laughs> alien overlords are nice to us. Yes. Uh, uh, mm, mm. Oh, on that on that point, so do you think these particular alien overlords are being nice? Well, I think to, uh, so far, if what Jedaya uh, said is true, that they were trying to save, because what they described was that they observed many different species performing similar, like wars and 
killing mm. each other and you know the mass suicide it's criming it it feels to me and then they're trying to save and they're trying to save the humans and putting them back on earth it feels to me that potentially they are nice but as i talked we just i just said right now there might be some nice aliens that are trying to help mm-hmm. or they might be not so nice they're trying to utilize it who knows but i think mm. so far what we see the approach is that it seems like it's more of a an experiment to understand so that they can help us and i hope this is gonna stay like that <laughs> although you know then <laughs> okay, if it's just you know like oh hi you know you know lilith gets used to them and then like they send earth and it's like okay bye i mean the book would be like you know three chapters and we know there's a whole trilogy yeah, of so. uh, no sorry there's a series of those books so uh, yeah trilogy, it's a trilogy yeah. so yeah so definitely we'll, hmm. it's gonna be uh more stories of our associates so i i think it'd probably be 50 50 on that okay yeah. Do, do you have a do you want to the go for your other predictions yeah, sure. yeah so yeah. i thought um these were my predictions that the next chapter mm-hmm. we'll f- see that um lilith will get slowly used to Chidaya and until she's ready to leave and mm-hmm. the moment she leaves the sort of her confinement she will have a shock seeing how many aliens there are with some humans uh, mingling with them you know it's mm-hmm. seeing other humans actually and meeting maybe other humans that are already used to uh, or she may be on her own who knows but I think it will be already humans there and okay. I'm sure what's gonna happen is that Daya will show what because when he said it's the, on the ship right it's yeah. easier for her to understand but in that mm-hmm. sort of way he said it sounds like there's gonna be more into that there's gonna be more okay. information behind it and i feel like potentially it the ship is not just a ship and she, he will explain and show her more around the ship and then she will probably meet the leader of his race or sort of like the yeah. whatever who, <laughs> take me to your leader yeah yeah sort of like you know <laughs> she'll be introduced to the rest of her of his kind okay Hmm. So good speculations. So let's see. And yes, yeah. on that note, shall we introduce our um, uh, readers to the sorry listeners to the next mm-hmm. chapter uh, to look forward to the next sort of podcast uh, on chapter three, maybe chapter yeah, four, depending I think how we, long they are. We'll, we'll probably do chapters three and four. Okay, and then um, five might get its own. I've just looked over the lengths, uh-huh. and that uh, five's a, a lot longer. So. Uh, that's uh, probably the way we'll go. And th- those chapters represent the first section, womb, um, or part one. Um, and then chapter numbers start over again in, in part two. Uh, so, uh, so we will. Con- we'll, so this is, these are chapters one and two of uh, section one, titled womb, womb. from mm-hmm. the book Dawn of Xenogenesis um, series by Octavia L. Butler, and. Mm-hmm. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us. Um, it is an experience for me, for definitely. Yeah, it's a, this is our, our first time doing this, so, uh, so we'll see how it goes. And we'll try to provide as many references as we can to what we talk to about. If not, you can easily find things about yep, what we talk uh, about Wikipedia. And there's li- links in the description. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, on whatever podcast service you are listening to us on. Right. Thank you very much, everyone, and see you. Thank you. Hear uh, you soon. Indeed. Goodbye. Bye.